the reality principle. What we have had to say about the nature and psychology of men has had little relationship to what is normally called psychology in humanistic institutions of learning, as well as in most modern seminaries. These are governed by opinions which are anti-biblical and grounded in principles which assumes the autonomy of man from God. The dependence of man upon man is recognized by many humanistic psychologies, but man's absolute and total dependence upon God is denied. But if God has created heaven and earth and all things therein, and has decreed beforehand all things that come to pass, Acts 15, 18, Romans 9, etc., then nothing can be understood apart from this sovereign God and his word. The reality principle, in psychology as in all things, is to admit the claims of this sovereign and triune God and the authority of his word. It means recognizing the fourfold estate of man and its governing character in men's actions. It means recognizing that existing schools of psychology are implicit or explicit attacks upon biblical faith. This does not mean that some interesting things have not been discovered by psychologists, psychoanalysts, and psychiatrists. To recognize an enemy as an enemy does not mean we cannot learn from him, but we must at all times be aware of the framework of his ideas and discoveries. As Van Til has pointed out in his Psychology of Religion, we cannot overlook the fact that non-Christian psychologies make two untenable assertions. First, they assert the metaphysical independence of the self-consciousness of man from God, and second, they assume the ethical or moral independence of the self-consciousness of man from God. The creation doctrine requires us to hold that man is God's creature and thus metaphysically dependent upon God. Again, as Christians, we recognize the fact of the fall and of sin, and that man, while ethically alienated from God, is still dependent upon God. The roots of modern psychologies are in Eve's readiness to listen to the temptation of Satan and to find an explanation for man and life apart from God. It was an attempt to understand life, man, and the mind of man independently of God, and this attempt is still basic to psychology. Implicit in this is a rejection of God and an assumption that man is a creature of the void, who can, in the future, remake himself in terms of his own autonomous mind and will. The result, depending upon the school of psychology, is a concentration upon the mind or consciousness of man, or else upon the actions of man, upon the periphery or surface of man, because his nature is an open question. It is not to be determined by scripture, and it is either to be determined by research, which presupposes anything except God, or assumes the malleability of man by man. The evidence studied by psychology thus is a cold evidence. God is removed from the picture, and nothing is allowed to intrude which can alter the picture of autonomy from God. How evidence is dealt with by modern science appears in an account of a scientific meeting in April of 1966 at the Worcester Institute in Philadelphia. According to Dr. Bolton David Heiser, Dr. Marcel Schutzenberger, professor of mathematics at the University of Paris, reported that when an evolutionary situation is simulated and a computer is programmed to answer the question of the probability of evolutionary advance under these conditions, the computer jams. This is interpreted to mean that the probability is less than one chance in 10 to the 1,000th power. Calculation shows that if this number of digits were typed, 4,000 digits per page, the paper would fill the known universe about 5 times 10,915 times. Professor Waddington, who was acting as chairman of that meeting, said, We are not interested in your computers. 
He asked Dr. Schutzenberger whether he was arguing that life came about through creation, and Dr. Schutzenberg replied, no. Other voices in the room echoed his no. No matter what the evidence or the results of mathematical computations, they consider it very important that no one dare conclude that anything they say might be interpreted to mean that they do not accept evolution. This is clear evidence of a radical presupposition of the autonomy of man and the universe from God. Had the evidence of Schutzenberg been accepted, it could still have been used to assert man's autonomy, because God or creation would have then been ruled a probability, a factor to be evaluated by man. God cannot be God if he is not the absolute sovereign, the governing presupposition and ground of all knowledge. As Van Til has pointed out, the premise of modern psychologies is that, by eliminating God as the governing premise and by reducing him to, at best, a supposedly open question, these men claim that they, by this method, are for the first time really getting in touch with reality. Reality is thus defined as the autonomy of man from God and the right of man to evaluate God and all things else in terms of his own self-generated principles of ultimacy, meaning, and factuality. Genesis 3.5 The ultimacy of God and of God's distinction between good and evil are replaced with the ultimacy of man and of the world as man imagines it to be without God. Thus, we sum up our argument and say that at any rate, the psychology of religion school takes for granted the non-theistic assumption of the total self-sufficiency of the religious consciousness metaphysically, and in the second place, that it takes for granted the non-theistic ethics of the ultimacy of evil. Every one of God's creatures is therefore promised a little island of his own, and in addition is given the privilege of an eternal moral holiday. He may take his pet sins with him and practice them forever. The meaning of things is sought in time rather than in God. Because the meaning is sought in time, there is a desire to seek for the interpretation of life by trying to find the absolute particular. In the natural sciences, this means atomism. In psychology, it means subjectivism. The evidence is sought in the mind of man. This search for the absolute particular in explaining man has meant a downward quest, an investigation of the child, of primitive man, and of animals of abnormal persons, of the unconscious, and so on, all aspects of a broader move away from God and an integration into the void. The alternative to man in the void is man before God. In psychology, as in religion and all things else, the issue is the necessary objective reference. Is it the absolutely self-conscious and sovereign God of Scripture, or is it some sort of impersonal and autonomous universe? In this latter, humanistic perspective, the love and service of man is foremost, and God, however formally recognized at times, will in fact be hated and denied in his claims. Men are then governed by the canidic wish that there be no God. As against humanistic psychologies, a psychology which does justice to the fact of creation and the sovereignty of the God of Scripture must, Van Til points out, do certain things. We will, in the first place, fearlessly take our concept of God as absolute personality as the standard of human thought. We hold that human thought is analogical of God's thought. Hence, we keep the universal and particular together, always. Mankind was created as a unity. The individual experience of one human being could never bring an independent and so-called native witness to the nature of religion. No one man ever existed or was meant to exist in total independence of all others. 
Each human being was meant, to be sure, to show forth something individual, and in this way add something to the witness of the whole of humanity as to what God means to man. But this individual should always be thought of in conjunction with the whole race. Second, this witness of humanity as a whole must have God as its objective reference and could not exist without this objective reference. God is the presupposition which undergirds the existence of man and his possibility of knowledge. In no aspect of his being can man exist or function apart from God. Third, this means that in a biblical psychology, we will not set the feeling in opposition to the intellect. God has created man as a harmony. One aspect of man's personality cannot lead us deeper into reality than another aspect can. Fourth, the solution to our problems rests in the direction of rationality, not a see or avoid of irrationality, because the self-conscious God is ultimate, not a void or chaos. Fifth, there can only be one true religion when the God of Scripture is our standard. Scripture thus must be used to determine not only the truth or falsity of religion, but also of psychology since man is a creature of God and is to be understood in terms of him. We begin with God and the fact of creation, rather than with a search for the absolute particular as a basic fact for knowledge. Van Til says of the psychology of religion, we throw its method overboard completely. This we must say of all humanistic psychologies. They are varying aspects of man's revolt against maturity and forms of justification for man's apostasy and rebellion. Where they admit the fact of sin, sin is redefined as an offense of man against man, or man against himself, as immaturity or arrested development, as anything other than an act of war or rebellion against God. But man is God's creature, subject to God's judgment, and only to be truly known in terms of God's word. The medieval morality play Every Man, circa 1493-1537, began with the statement, Here beginneth a treatise how the High Father of Heaven sendeth death to summon every creature to come and give account of their lives in this world and is in manner of a moral play. The theology of every man may be defective, but its central point, that man is in all things accountable to his maker and is without excuse in his sin, gives us a God-centered account of man and his nature. The everyman of the 18th century literature is the Gil Blas of Alain-René Lesage, 1668 to 1747, a picaro or rogue, an anti-hero. Gil Blas is, as Evans pointed out, the young unprincipled simpleton falling among thieves, duped and duping until, achieving power and hence being able to sin far more than to be sinned against, he sees that statesmanship is rascality writ large and that the sum of practical wisdom is to know when to grab yours and run. Gil Blas learned the psychology of humanistic man in the process of gaining power. Because man without God moves in terms of humanistic considerations, Gil Blas was able to use this fact to seduce women. In an assignation scene with a woman, the following exchange occurred. Hold, said she. You are too importunate. This is like a rake. I fear you are but a loose young fellow. For shame, madame, exclaimed I. Can you set your face against what women of the first tasting condition encourage? A prejudice against what is vulgarly called vice may be all very well for citizens' wives. That is decisive, replied she. There is no resisting so forcible a plea. The spring of human action here is an apostasy from God, and hence subject to the will of man. 
The reality principle in Gilblas is not God, nor is it in Freud, Jung, Watson, Skinner, or any other modern psychology. Such a psychology can report on trifles. It cannot know man because it does not know God. It does not know God because it refuses to know him. The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Psalm 14.1 But first he has said, I shall be as God. Genesis 3.5 